good to be here tonight. I would have driven five hours just to come and hear the singing this evening. It was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your, your incredible giftedness for the Lord tonight in, uh, in worship. Uh, as he said, my son Caleb came with me. I, I, uh, with great spiritual fervor, he said, Dad, I think I'd be willing to skip school for a couple days and and go with you to revival. So here, here he is with me tonight. He's a pretty good traveling companion. And we talk about spiritual things. As a matter of fact, we got to listen on the way up today to some of the services that you all have already enjoyed in, in the, the revival so far. You all have heard about adoption. Wow. And, and about spiritual warfare and about God's power in healing. And I'm just drawing a blank on a couple of the other things that I... I got to hear about it, and so much so that I, I would, I, I sort of tremble coming to the pulpit tonight because I think they've heard, Lord, such good preaching already. Uh, my feeble gifts, I, I, I fear, if, if we were making comparisons, so I'm going to ask us to be spiritual enough not to do that, <laughs> please. Let's just, let's just say, God help this poor preacher up here to do the best that he can and give us something worth hearing anyway. Would you allow me just one more moment of prayer? before I launch into the message tonight. Our Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, God, I do. I come tonight to this pulpit just aware, as always, that I am going to need your help. And so help us to preach tonight, Lord, that we would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ above all things. And Father, that we as children of God would just be drawn somehow closer to you. And Lord, that is, that is sufficient for us. Lord, for the lost, if there's someone here, maybe that this would be the night that they'd say, I'm ready for my soul to be transferred out of that kingdom of darkness and moved into the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that that might happen for someone tonight. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. All right, if you will, would you open your Bible with me tonight to the book of Romans and find chapter number one. And we just might as well start at verse number one. I won't preach through the whole book of Romans for you. But in Romans chapter 1, just the first six verses of the book is what I'd like to look at with you, and then we'll go on to some other things a little bit later. But in Romans chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading to you from verse 1 and then finishing in verse number 6. And here's what the Scripture says. Romans 1, 1 says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Listen to verse 4, it says, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Well, praise be to God. Amen. I read through that and I almost have to stop and shout when I get down into verse number 4. There's so much there. It said in verse 3 that, that Jesus Christ, our Lord, was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, but it tells me there in verse 4 that He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. And so that the Spirit of holiness has been preaching this Jesus down 
through the ages as He's spoken into the hearts and minds of prophets who under the unction of God above have talked about one who would come. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This one who comes, there's no beauty in Him, and yet in His blood there is salvation for the nations. The Holy Spirit's been preaching that for centuries and centuries and centuries. He's been preaching that, declaring Him to be the Son of God with power, but now how much more? Because it is in the resurrection from the dead that we know it's true. Amen. And praise be to God. Amen. I I was thinking about that lately. I was thinking about that message of Christ in the resurrection from the dead. And I was thinking about those early disciples, those, those godly, sensitive men, sensitive to the leading of the Spirit who were quick to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have to wonder, would I have been like one of them had I been one of the early hearers of Jesus? If I had been there when He comes walking out of out of Galilee, and he starts preaching this kingdom of God. Would I have listened to him and paid attention to that message, or would I have been a little bit skeptical? Because i got to be honest with you, and it gets worse the older I get. i got a little cynical streak in me sometimes. Is there a witness tonight? Anybody else have that to deal with? The longer you live, the more... The more cynical you get about a few things. Well, I kind of wonder, Lord, would I, have, would I have been? I doubt I would have been as quick to believe as Nathaniel when Jesus said to him, yes, yes, I saw you when you were sitting under the tree there. And he said to him, my Lord, my God, I'm afraid it might have taken more than that for me. And I, I'd like to think that somewhere along the line, if I had watched the things that he did, I'd watched people who were without the strength to stand, getting up and jumping for joy in the Lord. I'd like to think that if I'd seen the blinded eyes open and the deaf mute uh, speaking and hearing, that something would have resonated in my spirit. But I don't know for sure. But I'll tell you this, I do know this, that if He had said to me that He was going to die and get up again, and then had done it, He could tell me anything He wanted to, and I'd believe it, every word of it. Amen. Amen. Somebody come and say, now here's what's going to happen. I'm going to lay my life down and then I'm going to pick it up again. I have the power to do both equally. Amen. I'll tell you what, my first thought on that would be here's somebody just a, just a prime candidate for the loony bin. But if, if I saw him do just exactly that, brother, I'm, I'm all in. I'm ready to believe whatever you want me to believe. And by the power, the strength of that resurrection, listen to it again, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. All those things that God spoke through His Spirit to the prophets back down through all those dim pages of ancient time under the old covenant. But then when the Holy Spirit breathes through the stone and into the tomb and here comes Christ back to life again. What a, what a moment that is. I'm going to believe lots of things because the resurrection tells me so. Amen. I'm going to believe that He is not just an impressive figure. He is the Son of God. Amen. I'm all in for that, brother. He's the Son of God. I'll not be talked out of that. Of all the things I don't know and I don't understand, including many things about the Scripture, I know that to be fact. He's the Son of God. Amen. I believe Him when He tells me that He is the Good Shepherd. And oh, I know, I already know that my soul needs a shepherd. And I'm believing on Him 
when He says, I am the good shepherd. I didn't come like the the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I've come that as your shepherd I can give you life and life more abundant. Amen. I believe that He is the bread of life. Why do I believe that? Because He got back up again. Amen. Because of the resurrection. And He said, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died, but he who eats the real bread from heaven never dies. And He said, I am that bread of life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I say... Amen. He said to Mary and to Martha in the little village of Bethany when they were grieving over the loss of their brother, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And I believe that he is just exactly that. I believe that he is the judge of the earth. I believe that he is the rightful king of every nation in the world and that every every man and woman and boy and girl ought to be living under his authority. He is their rightful Lord. That includes me and it includes you. He is the Lord, the ruler, and the judge of the earth. And he is the coming king before whom every knee will bow and every tongue must confess His rightful Lordship. Amen? Amen. Why do I believe that? Well, the resurrection told me so. Amen? Declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. Well, amen. Let's look at verse 5. That's a lot on verse 4. Let's go one more down. And let's see what verse 5 might say to us. It says that through Him, Through this Jesus who was declared to be the Son of God, died and got up again. Through Him we have received some things. And what have we received? It says, through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Amen. We've received grace and apostleship for God's work among the nations. You'll remember with me the last thing that Jesus said in the Gospels before He ascended to be with the Father over in Matthew 28. I'll just read it to you quickly. He says, it begins in verse 18, what I'm going to read, last three verses of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen, Matthew says. Amen, amen, amen. Did you notice there what he told them before he said, go? When I talked about, I said something about the Great Commission, the last verses of Matthew, you knew I was going to say go, didn't you? You knew it was in there. You knew the Great Commission has the word, the imperative to go in there. But did you notice what Jesus said just before He told them to go? Verse 18, He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So the one telling these apostles to go, And the one telling you to go and me to go is the same one who says, and I believe it because of the resurrection, is the same one who says all authority has been given to me in heaven 
and on earth. Well, what in the world does that have to do with the Great Commission? His authority. Why does he say that there when he's about to tell them to go? It has everything to do with it. Back in Romans 1.5, what does it say? It says, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. It says, through him we've received grace. Grace. Do you understand grace? We use that word so easy. We sing about it. But I wonder if sometimes we fail to appreciate what it really means. It means the full and unbridled favor of God. Amen? You were once at odds with God. You were once His enemy. Your sin had made you an enemy of God. But now you've been cleansed of all that. You are not only not an enemy, but you're a child of God by the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, and you are entitled to the full favor of God. As you walk in faith toward Him, as you live the life of a believer and a disciple, Jesus says, I want you to go. But I want you to know that while you go, I have the authority to do some things. God has given me, the Father has given me the authority to give you grace to give you the full, unbridled favor of God. He is shoveling onto us the full favor. Just got His big shovel out. And He's shoveled, just heaping it on us. The favor of God as we go out and we do His work in the world. Well, I'm glad for that. And that ought to give us some confidence. Amen. Through Him we receive grace and apostleship. He continually affirms the call to go forth to the lost world. Amen. I talked to you about apostleship just a few weeks ago. I was up here and we talked about apostleship. I'll try not to rehash all of that. But I, I would say to you that a part of you being a follower of Christ, a part of you being in the family of God is, buddy, you've got to tell somebody. Amen? You've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to be a missionary somewhere. If it's your neighbor's house across the lawn. I mean, maybe not even across the street, just next door. But you've got to go tell somebody. You've got to go because in the going, there's so much grace in that. And it meets you in that apostleship. There's another word here in verse 5 that I'd like to settle on. A big little word there buried in verse 5. And already you're thinking this hillbilly from Kentucky is talking about oxymoron. A big little word. What is a big little word anyway? Well, there are a few big little words in the scripture. I mean, they're little in that they, they're, they're diminutive. They don't have a lot of letters in them. But man, they're packed with something that's worth paying attention to. I'll give you a couple of those just off the cuff. There is a couple of verses over in John chapter 8, verses 31, 32, somewhere around there. Now, you've probably heard and perhaps quoted verse 32 all by itself. I'm going to tell you tonight, that's not all that it says, right? You heard, you heard someone say to you, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Quit saying that. Quit telling people that. I mean, you tell them, but tell them the whole thing, amen? What does it say in the verse before that? I'm gonna, I don't want to get it wrong. Let me, if I'm going to be admonishing you, I'd better get it right while I do so. And so here we are, John chapter 8, what did I say, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Oftentimes one of the biggest words you'll find in all the Scriptures is that little word, if. 
I-F. It speaks of a condition that must be met. Do you want to know the truth and be set free by it? Then abide in His Word and let His words abide in you. If you do this, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's a little tiny word, but my goodness, it's packed with meaning. In the model prayer that Jesus teaches His disciples to pray, teaches us to pray this way. Say it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. It was right there. And forgive us our debts. How, how do we want the forgiveness of God? How do we want Him to measure His grace to us? It says what? Forgive us our debts as to the same measure that we forgive our debtors. There's a song that's been running through my brain a lot lately. Um, the battle hymn. Every now and then you've got to sing the battle hymn. Brother, it'll do you some good. You know that song, Mine Eyes Have Seen. The... Anyway, there's a verse in it. We don't often sing the third verse. It's oftentimes not even in our hymnal, but it says, I have read a fiery gospel writ in burnished rows of steel as ye deal with my condemners, so with you my grace shall deal. Let the hero born of woman crush the serpent with his heel. His truth is marching on. As, as you deal with my... Anyway, there was a big little word I was getting to in verse 5. It says, Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. For obedience to the faith. The faith. The faith. You know what the is? This word the, the whatever you want to call it here. Do, do, do you know, it's, it's, it's the definite article, right? It's what's place in grammar, it's the definite article. It is specific. In other words, it's not something just generic, pick any faith. But it says that through Jesus Christ, this one who lived and died and lives again, who is the Son of God, through Him we've received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for His name. Amen? Amen. The faith. Some have the very faulty idea that God is always pleased by faith. Somebody says, well, well, the Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God. So then God must always be pleased by faith. And I will tell you that there is a fault in the reasoning there. There's something that just doesn't work in that line of thinking. As a matter of fact, God is rarely pleased by faith. God is rarely happy with the faith that lives in the hearts of men and women who inhabit uh, this world. We live in a world that is full of faith. It's full of all kinds of faith. But the problem is that most of the faith that the average person in the world has, it is a faith that dishonors God, disparages His Word, shuns His church, blackguards His ministers. It's a faith that is in disagreement with the Word of God. Amen. And so when the Bible says that we ought to have faith, it means the faith, the faith in Christ, the faith of the gospel, the faith in Him as the Son of God, the one who is the right and true King, the one who's died the death that we might be born again, obedience to the faith, teaching them, He said, to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I'll be with you in that. Amen. People believe in all kinds of things with a faith that is zealously religious but it isn't founded in Christ. 
People believe in anything. You know what I'm saying? That people believe in moralism. People believe, contrary to all evidence, people will believe in basic human goodness. <laughs> I hear it all the time. People say, oh, I, people are basically good. And I think, do you, do you not ever listen to the news? Do you never read a newspaper? I, my goodness. And I don't just know that from other people. I know that from looking in the mirror. I know that from me. I know what I'm capable of. Apart from the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, amen. Oh, we learn how to dress it up and make it look good. But I can't believe for a moment in basic human, people believe in all, people believe in what I'm going to call scientism. You know, I'm for science. I'm for an accurate understanding of the world that God has created. I think that that's a wonderful use of time and effort to understand all that we can. But when we come up with our theories and then hold them up as unassailable facts, we're no longer practitioners of science. We're practitioners of scientism. It is a faith. It is a religion, and it is contrary to the Scripture, and it dishonors God. Amen. Belief in fables and fairy tales and mythologies and superstitions, quite unfounded in fact. Papal theology. Do you know what papal theology is? You know what papal theology, right? Papal theology. You got it in churches all the time. Somebody said, well, brother, my papa always said, well, honey, your papa was wrong if he disagreed with the word of God. Let's let the Lord's word be the rule of faith. Amen. I don't care what your grandpa or your grandma used to say. Let's come back to the word of God because this is the faith that honors the Lord. No, God is not pleased by faith generally. What God is pleased by is this, the faith first spoken by the prophets, most plainly spoken by His Son, Jesus Christ, preached in the world by His apostles under His grace and through the unction of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm not the least bit interested when I meet somebody in finding out whether, they have, whether they're a person of faith. I can always safely assume they are. They always have faith in something. They always believe in something, with or without evidence. There are always assumptions that they're making about the world that they may not have any proof for, but they're willing to walk by faith in those things. I don't care whether, they're in, whether they have faith. What I want to know is whether they are in the faith. Amen. Friends, the important thing is not that we believe, it's what we believe. I want to say that to you again. The important thing is not that we believe, but it's, but it's what we believe. And it's, and it's who we believe. Amen. Can I just say to you very simply tonight that what we believe matters? And I, and I know I'm talking to the church on a Thursday night at a revival meeting. You probably didn't need me to come tell you that, did you? But man, I'm going to tell you, the world needs to know that. The world needs to know. The world has this idea that if you just come up with a workable philosophy, a workable idea, if it works for you, it's okay. No, it's not okay. No, what, what we believe, listen to me now, what we believe matters. There's some things we just got to know, you know. And I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight. But uh, we got to believe in God the Father. We got to believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, the divine Son of God come and the flesh as a human being died to death and risen again. We've got to believe in the Holy Spirit. We have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We've got to believe and know that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. A relationship with God. We've got to believe that our relationship, we've got to understand that our relationship with God begins and continues in repentance. You knew, that, you knew that you had to repent to get saved. Did you know that repentance must be an ongoing part of the life of a Christian? 
continual refining of your life and what is doing that in you. Well, it's the Holy Spirit and the Word at work in you. And on that point, I might also add the inerrant Word of God. You've got to believe in the inerrant Word of God. Amen. You've got to know that God's Word is not faulty. It's not full of errors and contradictions. But God's Word is trustworthy. And if you let the Holy Spirit do something in you with that Word, why, it is absolutely phenomenal in its impact. Over in the book of James, I'd like to go there for just a few minutes with you, and then I'm not going to talk too much longer. It's important what we believe. But even when I say that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to chastise anybody tonight, I'm just trying to make sure we, we get this and understand it. It's not important what we say we believe. It's important what we really believe. Amen? It's not important what we say. People say all kind of things. People profess all kind of things. It's not important what we say we believe. It's important what we actually believe. And can I tell you what will prove that? It's what we do with it. Amen? What we do with our faith that will show what we really, really believe. And this is what James is going to talk about here. And I'm going to begin reading in about verse number 12. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Anybody ever been tempted? Just by show of hands. Man, I'm in the wrong. Oh, okay, there they are. They were just a slow getting there. About, about six people up here have been tempted. Y'all might need to find somewhere else to go. Y'all corrupt in this church here, I think. I don't know what it is. The rest of these people have never been tempted in their life. They've never been through that. Nobody really? Chad? Okay, all right. We've got a few extras. Like I said, okay, okay, good, good. Blessed is the man, it says, who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The one who has authority in all heaven and earth has promised the crown of life to you who love him. Amen? Amen? Do you understand that? I don't suppose we do, really. We're talking about eternal things and trying to understand them from the perspective of our time and our world here, this world of separation, the crown of life. Oh, my goodness. To, to find ourselves before the Lord one day and have Him give to us the crown of life. Well, praise be to God. It says, it says He has promised that to those that love Him. It says in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And that seems to me like that ought to be self-evident. Like that just seems like you shouldn't even have to say it. Like, James, why are you wasting the ink, man? Why did you, why'd you even spend time telling us that? We ought to just know that. We know anything about the character of God. We ought to know that God's not about evil. He's not about leading us down the road into temptation. And yet, and yet I find that he did need to say that because very often we find professing Christians and I'm not doubting their experience with Christ. I'm not doubting their sincerity. But I am doubting some of the, the, the thinking that they have that goes on in their head. Sometimes they get their life all sideways. They get over to the most broken pathways of sin. And they say, well, you know, God's led me here. Well, no, He didn't. He did not lead you into a, a brokenness of sin. Now, He'll come and get you out when you repent. He'll come and help you. But don't be laying that off on God. Don't, don't be saying it's his fault and, well, God's blessed the broken road. No, <laughs> hey, listen, the Holy Spirit didn't take you there. You took you there. Amen. I had a friend down in Tennessee when I lived down there. He used to say, he, he'd like to say this. He said, when, when, he'd say, now the, the devil made me do it. And then he'd say, no, that's just William. His name was William. Question about 
question about, about, about where, where this temptation comes from and where this evil comes from. People want to know about the devil and where the devil comes from and where evil really does come from. If not from God, then where, where is it? There was a wonderful older lady who was teaching Sunday school at the church I pastored in Tennessee one time, and there was a lady that was fairly new to our church, and, and uh, they got into some kind of a discussion about the devil being where he was from, whether he was an angel or whatever, and, and, and Sister Loretta, the teacher, said, the Bible doesn't say that the devil was an angel in heaven. And the, and the, the little lady that was new, and she was very sweet and, and, and completely, you know, she wasn't trying to cause any problems. She just was trying to find out some truth. And she said, well, I've heard that all my life. Well, wh where did he come from? And I thought the best, Loretta gave her the most theologically deep, poignant answer that you could give to that. And she looked at her, she said, honey, it ain't none of your business. I thought, yeah, that's an unassailable fact right there. Yeah, honey, it ain't none of your business. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Forget about that. Lord wanted you to know he'd have told you. He didn't tell you. Go on about it. Don't worry about that. You want to know where evil really comes from? You really know, want to know that the, the devil, he comes as a tempter, but he's got all the tools. He, all he needs, all the, all the things he wants to work with are already there because what does the Bible say? It says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. He goes down, verse 14, he says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And so what I'm saying to you is that there are people here who, who, who say that they're followers of Christ, say they're believers in the Lord, and I'm not doubting that at all, get over an awfulest mess in the world through disobedience and try to blame that on God, right? Try to lay it off like, well, it's just part of the pathway God's led me on. Now listen, God will take you through some strange places. He'll put you on ground you never expected to be on, but that ground will never be into sin. God is never leading you into sin, amen? And it's not what you say you believe, it's what you really believe, and you show it. Listen to me now. You show it through what you do and the choices that you make. It says, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth, what is it again? It brings forth death. It brings forth death. Then he says in verse number 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Why does he say that there? Why does he say not to be deceived? There's a few places in the Revelation. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you've had a couple preachers this week who, I enjoyed your preaching, brother. I saw you come in. I, I'm humbled to be preaching in your presence. You, what a wonderful job you did. But uh, I had a couple preachers preaching, and they've, they've referenced Revelation. I, I can't help but remember that in, in the book of the Revelation, uh, Jesus has John take some letters by, by way of dictation that he's going to write to these churches scattered through Asia Minor. And in a couple of those letters, he references something. He re references the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Do you remember that? The Nicolaitans. What was that Nicolaitan doctrine? The Nicolaitan doctrine, the doctrine that the body is so evil and wicked just naturally that it doesn't matter what you do in the body, that you can just say, well, my spirit is saved, my soul is saved by grace, so whatever's done in my body just doesn't even matter. That was the Nicolaitan doctrine. One place I believe in the Revelation, he also says, which was, which was the same 
curse sought by Balak through Balaam. Remember Balaam in the Old Testament who comes and, and, and he, can't, he, can't, he can't find any way in the, in, the, in, the, in the Lord to curse the children of Israel, but he says this to Balak, the king of, I believe it was Moab. I should have looked that up, shouldn't I? But he said, he said, I tell you what, we can't curse them, but what we can do is we can get them to bring a curse on themselves. We can get them to flirt with the world. We can get them to mix with the world enough to where they can't live in the blessing of God anymore. And as soon as they get intoxicated enough with the world, then the blessing of God will be withdrawn from them. And then we can curse them all day long. <laughs> then we can curse them all we want to. We'll just, we'll just lead them down this little primrose pathway. We'll just take them where they shouldn't be. And that was exactly what Balak did under the tutelage of a fallen prophet. Can I tell you that the Nicolaitan doctrine is by no means dead in the world today? So many people think that it's just what you say you believe. It's just what you have head knowledge of. But they don't let that filter out into the way they live their life. And the choices that they make, the things that they do in their life. Right? Amen? And so people that should be in the full blessing of God, man, they're just getting torn apart because, because they really are not where they need to be. They've got a lot of head knowledge. But man, there's a disconnect at work somewhere. What does James say? He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. He goes on and he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. I've pondered that first line of that verse where he says every good gift and every perfect gift. Why does he say it both ways? Is that redundant there? Why say every good gift and then say, no, every, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of I kind of wonder, I think maybe he said that perfect part so that you wouldn't make the mistake and I wouldn't make the mistake of thinking that he meant every pretty good gift comes from the Lord, right? Because I tell you what, settling for things that are pretty good will get you into all kind of trouble. You know, you can kill rats with pretty good cheese. You hear what I'm saying to you? You can. I mean, pretty good cheese. That Velveeta, I mean, you get that Velveeta. If you don't like Velveeta, you need to get saved, of course, but still. I mean, cheese in a box on a shelf ain't in the refrigerator. Praise the Lord. Anyway, but you can take that, that block of cheese and, and not even put that much poison in it and kill every rat you meet with it, right? Still look like cheese, still smell like cheese, presumably still taste like cheese, right? Pretty good cheese. Deadly, but pretty good. Pretty good. You say, brother, that's foolish. That's foolish. Who would eat cheese knowing it was poison? Well, apparently a lot would. A lot of professing Christians would. A lot of churchgoers would. A lot of folks that ought to know better would, would, would do that, wouldn't they? Surely they would. Sure they would. Every good gift and every perfect. Not every pretty good gift. i tell you what I like about preaching here to this church. There's such a variety of, 
of ages that are always well represented. I mean, on a Thursday night, we've got so many young people with us here. We've got so many folks here that probably got a lot of wisdom. Is that a nice way to say that? Yeah. We've got a, we've got a good mix of folks from all kind of different, all kind of different ages here. And, and I tell you what, I really want to commend your young people for the way that they come out to the services. I think that's wonderful. Can I tell you that, 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 that you know what, the enemy, if you'll, if you'll listen to the enemy, if you'll, if you'll listen to the enemy, you've got, you got your years of life ahead out in front of you, you've got plans to make, you've got decisions to make, you've got to figure out where you're going to go, what you're going to do with your life, you've got to figure out, and especially here, listen to me now, it's very, very important you understand this, especially you go to picking out what kind of partner you want to spend your life with person you're going to marry, spend your life with, oh, what faith and optimism lives in young people when you see some of the, pic- the, the choices they make in getting married. Sometimes it works out wonderfully well. Sometimes it does not. Can I tell you what? If you listen to the enemy, what he'll give you, and he'll promise you this, he'll give you something pretty good. He'll give you something pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Not perfect. Not perfect in keeping with the will of God for your life and what God your Father above would have chosen for you. He'll give you life that's pretty good. It'll kill you in the end. It'll be death in the end. Sin will be conceived and desire and will turn into death before it's over with. But it'll feel pretty good all along the way. Amen. Amen. And I tell you what you believe matters. And if you believe it, you might as well live by it. And if you won't live by it, stop pretending to believe it. And that's not just for the young people, that's for all of us. Amen? That's for all of us. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. By the word of truth, He's brought us forth that we might be a kind of first fruits of of His creatures, a brand new race of people in the world. A brand new race of people. Do you know there's only two races of people in the world? There's only two races, the living and the dead. That's it. That's all there is, the living and the dead. Any other difference is fairly meaningless. But between the living and the dead, there's all that. You know what he's called you to be, the first fruits of this new creation of God? I don't know all the things that might fill heaven. I mean, not the natural heavens above us, but that experience of that ongoing forever paradise of God that we look forward to. I don't know what the landscape there will look like exactly, and neither do you. I don't know what kind of creatures God might choose to fill that place with. I don't know if they're going to be fish in that river of life or not, what kind of fish they might be. I don't know if there's going to be squirrels in them trees or not, neither do you. There's so many things that we do not know about it, but do you know I know one thing that will be there. I know one type of creature that will be there. Redeemed children of God. Redeemed children of God who've been made new, who have been raised from death to life by this one who was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Amen. He has gotten up and His resurrection has told me all that I need to know about Him that every promise of God in Him is yea and in Him, amen. Can I tell you, he's entirely trustworthy. You ought to believe on him. 
You ought to put yourself entirely in his hands. You ought not just to believe what he says about himself. You ought to believe what he says about you. You ought to believe what he says about sin. You ought to believe what he says about righteousness. You ought to follow him with everything in you. For you are to be the children of God in the world. Amen. Amen. What we believe matters. What we believe matters. Somebody said this. I saw this somewhere the other day. I have no idea where I, if I, I'm probably stealing it off somebody. I'm just forgetful. Forgive me. They said, I never listen to words and I rarely pay attention to actions, but I believe patterns all the time. What does your pattern of life say about what you believe? What does your pattern of life say? Are you following Christ? And when you realize you've stepped out of the path, you step right back in as quick as you can. You say, oh God, look what I've done. And he says, it's all right. It's all right. There was an old preacher. His name was, his name was Brady Reed. He lived in uh, the latter part of his life around uh, Baxter, Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken. He pastored the church I pastored in Tennessee years before I got there. When he was a boy, when he started preaching, in fact, he couldn't read. And, and he said the Lord called him to preach. And he said, God, I, you're asking the impossible. He said, you're asking me to preach a word I can't read. And he said, the Holy Spirit told me, Brady, I can teach you to read. Amen. And then he said, well, Lord, I don't know how that works. And he said, open your Bible. And he opened the Bible. And he just started looking at it and looking at it and looking at it. And all of a sudden in his brain, those words just came together. Without knowing how to read, it just fell together. In his mind, he became a great preacher of the Word of God, could read very, very well, taught by the Holy Spirit. He said when he was a boy, he said when he was a boy, he uh, had gone to school, but it didn't last long. He said he remembered one time he was given a sheet of paper. He was an old man years ago. And so to be given a sheet of paper was a pretty big deal. One sheet of paper to try to learn to make some letters on. And He said the teacher had written the letter on the chalkboard and we were supposed to copy it. And he said, I, I made the letter best I could. And He said it didn't look anything like what she'd written. And he said, I remember a little boy, I just sat there and started to weep and cry, teared up. And she said, Brady, honey, what in the world is wrong with you? And he said, I've, I ruined the sheet of paper. I've messed it up. She said, well, it's all right, honey. I'll give you another one. I'm going to give you a blank slate. And you just try it again. You just try it again. It's all right. It's all right. He said, there have been a lot of times when God's had to, give, had to give me a blank slate to start over. When I've stepped out of the way in the wrong direction. I've had to say, Lord, look what I've done. And he has always been faithful because he said that he would. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. He said he's been faithful to me every time to say, son, it's all right. We'll just give you a new, a new clean sheet. We'll start all over again. We'll begin again. Amen. And that little boy trying to learn to read and he didn't learn to read in the classroom, but he learned the value of grace. Amen. 
He learned the value of mercy and a new beginning. Hallelujah. That young man that went on, not able to read, but God taught him how to read. In the latter part of his life, he lived just before he died. He lived in a little farm up on the Cumberland Plateau in Tennessee. And out on the backside of his little farm there, he had a barn with an old grain silo in it. And he would go every day out there into that into that barn and into the silo. It was empty, no grain in it, just into that round. Look up in there. And he said that was where he would pray every day. Get down on his knees in that round, in that round silo and say, God, just come and be with me now. And he said one day the presence of God came into that silo and filled it and filled it and filled it and filled it until he finally said, Oh, God above, if you don't stop, I'm surely going to die right now. I'm going to die. This is all the presence of God that in this form I can possibly handle. One little young man, one little boy, barely able to, to make a letter on a sheet of paper, taught by the Holy Spirit, but in the pattern of his life, he believed on the truth, and he followed the truth, and he lived by the truth. And God was with him every day of his life. Amen. God was with him every day. Uh, because what we believe matters in our obedience to the faith. Well, I'm, I've talked surely long enough, and so I'm going to stop right there tonight. Could I just give to you uh, an invitation? And the invitation I want to give to you is like this. Again, I know it's a Thursday night crowd revival, but I just wonder sometimes if we don't need a little bit of a, of a check, a little moment of introspection for ourselves, not just figuring out what our neighbor across the street needs to be doing different, but I need sometimes to think about me and say, God, now listen, here's where it is. I, you know what I believe, but you also know whether my life matches what I say I believe. You also know whether I'm really living it out daily, whether I'm really walking with you daily, really seeking you daily. Really everything I'm doing is about glorifying you and preaching this wonderful gospel in the world or, or does sometimes I get off in the direction of it being more about me more about my ambition, my want, my wish. And I can always dress that up and make it look awful sanctified. But Lord, you know the truth and I need to know the truth. God, show me. God, show me what is real in my heart. Do I believe the truth and do I live it? Do I live it? Well, if that's of any help to you tonight, I pray you'd come and respond. If you've got any praying to do, why well, I probably do too. So maybe you just meet me down here at the altar while our brother comes and sings, leads us in that song. Come right ahead, brother.